Hello, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne with the Sports Rivals, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Well, March Madness is at hand, and we turn to our archives today to two coaches who have been caught up in that madness before. We are sponsored by betonline.ag. Head to the website, BetOnlineAG, or you can use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And by eBay. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and a unique selection. And now, March Madness and the college basketball rivals with some wonderful stories. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Sports Rivals. I'm Gary Thorne. We're delighted to have you joining us here. It is our purpose uh, to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. That's what we're doing here, and that's what we're going to do today. You get to hear about the rivalries described from the inside out. A couple of great guests today and can't wait for you to, to hear them when they get going. Bill Raftery, uh, coaching 1963 to 1981 at Fairleigh Dickinson and made a big mark when he was the head coach at Seton Hall. In Seton Hall, he had four ECAC postseason appearances, two NIT appearances during that time. And probably for most of you, uh, Bill is known through the work on TV. 33 years in the broadcast business, been with CBS, ESPN, Fox, uh, Final Four included among all of the games that he has covered over the years, and obviously uh, a great personality. Bill Raftery joining us here today, and P.J. Carlissimo, also college coach and also Seton Hall. Bill, uh, P.J. coach from 1971 at the college level, Fordham, New Hampshire College, Wagner, which will matter because he met up with Bill Raftery against one another, Wagner and Seton Hall, and uh, Colissimo went on to Seton Hall, where he had some great years, uh, taking the uh, club six times to the NCAA tournament in 1989, went to the finals, the NCAA finals, and one of the great games of all time in an overtime loss to Michigan, and then went on to the NBA and uh, coached the uh, Trailblazers, Warriors, Seattle, as an assistant coach involved with the three NBA championship teams. And he too, uh, PJ has been involved in broadcasting along the way as well, but a lot of basketball experience here from Bill Raftery and PJ Carlissimo. So guys, number one, it's great to have you with us and uh, I'll just kick it off with a question and then let you two take it. Uh, I've often compared the college coaching rivalries that go on to the pick up basketball games I used to play when I could run, uh, that you were, there was great camaraderie, was oftentimes great friends, but when the game started, the competition was as fierce as it could possibly be. And I've always sensed amongst college coaches that that kind of a relationship and that kind of competition exists. So Bill, I'll let you start on that. Am I close? That, on could, that? that couldn't be further from the truth. I couldn't stand PJ, to be honest with <laughs> you. <laughs> we had no relationship whatsoever. And I want to thank you for making an abysmal coaching career sound somewhat attractive. 
And the add-on would be, I made PJ what he is today. We we played them. Was it double overtime, PJ? It was, a, yeah, at least double overtime. And I, I was a total nitwit on the sideline. And, and PJ, he's so nice. Not only did he beat us Seton Hall, but he sent me the copy of the well, Staten Island Advance with me throwing, <laughs> with my three-piece suit and looking like a real schmuckaroo, you know. But uh, no, we, we've obviously families have been friendly. His mom and dad, I knew, and uh, we're all we're you know we're going to have a lot of levity in this. But I was always so proud of what he was able to accomplish at Seton Hall because, you know, when the Big East started. Uh, nobody thought Providence or Seton Hall would ever be a factor. And uh, Dave used to say, when I can get Seton Hall and Providence up to speed, and unfortunately, P.J. came in under the the same sort of set of circumstances, uh, financially, support system, uh, just the facilities alone were, in comparison with the Syracuses and Yukons, et cetera, of the world, uh, not very attractive. So, what he was able to do to get to the final four and, uh, you know, get that team really to the, the championship game and the way he dealt with adversity uh, really made a lot of people. He's one of the few teams that people remember that lost the NCAA final because of the controversial call and how PJ dealt with it. Well, I tell you, yeah, you know, uh, very seldom do I like listening to Billy and this shows you why right now, right, right <laughs> off the start, but, uh, I, I will agree with one thing he said. We did not like each other then. Uh, we, we still don't like each other now. But uh, the, the thing with the facilities that's really true and a lot of people didn't realize, um, coaching at Wagner and coaching at Seton Hall when they played their games in Walt's gym really prepared both of us for the Big East to, to be able to move and play in the big arenas because we were used to playing in those gigantic uh, facilities and you know first-class <laughs> arenas like uh, the Big East had. Uh, I, I, ha- I actually remember that picture, and it, it's a true story. Uh, we were like my, my uncle, I think it was my uncle and my cousin, uh, worked the game. In, in, uh, at Wagner, you could do that. We assigned our own officials. But uh, even, w- even with that, it took two overtimes for us to win the damn thing. But the, the, the picture it truly was in the Staten Island advance. Billy did a backflip after one of the calls that, that I think it was the call my father made right in front of their bench. And he, the, the guy caught it. He was literally parallel to the ground. It looked like, uh, you know, when the illusionists or the magicians used to levitate. He's, he's parallel to the ground. And his three, it's funny, it's on three assistants, but n- none of them, of course, were full time. You got Mel Knight, John Murphy, and Hadi Mahan, his three coaches, have their arms extended like palms up, getting ready to catch him. He, he's in the air above the bench. And the three coaches are ready to catch him. He just did a backflip uh, from, from the advance. And, I mean, that shows you uh, the highlight. I mean, I used to go scout because we played a lot of the same teams. When I was at Wagner and Billy was at the hall, and we played a lot of the same teams. And I would go to scout, certainly not to learn anything from what, what, what Billy or his teams were doing, but so we could go out after the game. And it, it, was, it was unbelievable. But uh, those guys – uh, people always said, like, you know, the hall, you know, why did it take so long to get things going? Billy's being kind. When Billy was at the hall, when it started, when the Big East was really the Big East, when Patrick and 
Chris Mullen and Eddie Pinkney and those guys were cooking. He had no full-time assistants, zero. The three assistants, one was a police lieutenant in, in the North Police Department. The other was an assistant athletic director at Seton Hall. And the third was a high school coach and a teacher. Those were his three assistants. Um, they had one kind of office um, where everybody, uh, you know, spent time. And it was like, you know, people would say, why did it take Seton Hall so long? Because they, they, they had succeeded for a lot of years. Billy was very successful playing those same teams, the Georgetowns, the Villanovas, St. John's, and Syracuse. But those other schools realized when we got in the Big East, uh, when Seton Hall got in the Big East, hey, we gotta we gotta change budgets. We gotta we gotta spend a lot of money recruiting. We gotta allow Billy to hire full time uh, assistants. We have to uh, do something with the gym. Eventually, may move into the Meadowlands, and of course now the Prudential Center. But I mean, it was literally you talk about a level playing field. It was about as non level as it could be when he's trying to compete with uh, th- those teams in in the Big East at that time. You know, Gary, we, we, he's right about the referees. We used to have two priests work the home games. And sometimes they'd be mad at me and they'd hurt us. But whenever you played Lou Conaseca or PJ, they used to have two Italian guys that went to either St. John's or Wagner working the games. <laughs> you had, and then who was the kid? Jamie Campagli, I think, PJ, right? That's right. For more he has goals. how many? He's like 38 points against us. Our intricate defensive scheme wasn't really <laughs> But did he have like a big game? Maybe 40, I forget. Well, he had a good game. Nicky Gales had more. That was when Billy had the great player who played for so long in Greece and was a tremendous international player in the Olympics and the world championships. But He just went in the Hall of, of Fame, Pete. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I did. Whatever Jamie had, Nicky had about 10 more. Uh, <laughs> there was right. no question. And uh, I think the, next, the same – go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just to say the next day we read the paper and they can say, I hate seeing all. He didn't recruit me. I'm going, you got to be kidding me, Jamie. If I knew you were this good, I would have recruited you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Gary, in our building, seriously, it, it suttered, it, it's still there, but they fi- they have fixed it up. They've done a nice job. But, it, I mean, it was terrible when we played there. But they had a uh, balcony at one end. B- uh, Walsh has a stage at one end where Seton Hall played. But uh, Sutter Jim had a balcony. Well, I, we, we put a batting cage in there and stuff. But for the games, you'd push the netting back and we'd go. And obviously, you put the visitors down on that end. And we didn't have a band. We had a, like a couple of <laughs> kids like would play drums and stuff like that. Harmon- one but- kid played a harmonica for <laughs> Yeah, but you know what they would do? They would heat up the pennies, and when uh, we played Iona, when it was Jim Valvano, and we played Seton Hall when it was Billy, the student session would get up there and they heat up the pennies and they'd wire them down at the bench uh, at, the, at the players. And I think Gales, I think they finally got to him. They hit him about twenty-five times in that game with the heated pennies, and he he was finally exhausted by the second overtime. With the salary we Seton Hall paid me, Gary, I had the manager picking up the pennies after the game <laughs> so I could go out. But but PJ, I thought you were going to go. In this direction, he came out to scout us this one night, and I was oh. shocked. I was shocked because we happened to win the game, and was not myself. I was unaccustomed to <laughs> the ecstasy of a victory, and I left and went to this little 
Jim Mill, we used to have some lemonade at on a regular <laughs> basis. Win or lose. And, What's the name uh, of that so place? PJ, so good. You, you take over the story. Yeah. So after you went to a game at Seton Hall, it wasn't, it was the same in basketball. The, the trainer, who was really a cut man, uh, Eddie Kapoor, <laughs> the thing him. he did best was have like the kids would go in there and want ice for their ankle, and he'd go, "No, uh, I got the two six packs for Billy after the game. You can't, you can't get ice. Like you try to borrow ice for your players. Ice. Yeah, exactly. You, you, could, you couldn't have it. So when a game was over, normally I would go in, say hello to Billy, and then I'd wait for stats. Billy didn't care. He didn't want to see the stats anyhow. He'd just leave. And what was the name of that place, really? Yeah, like a railroad the, the name. One, that night was the cable car. Table car, then, exactly. Then we switched to Victor's when uh, we really got rolling. You know, we so he, wins one he would leave, and like I'm an idiot. Like I, you know, I'm thinking like it's going to make a difference. Keep waiting for the stat sheet. Well, the stats at Seton Hall used to take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour after the game. You couldn't <laughs> well, get the stats. Little... It was the old, the old ditto machine or something. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I finally get him. And in those days, before they added on to Walt's gym. There were like a series of steps out front, like, a, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 steps. It was kind of like an impressive Pretty facade high. in the front of the building. I go out there and it's freezing. It's snowing. It's like sleeting out. And I go down and it like on the bottom step standing there is a lady. She's got like a, a winter coat and she's like, you know, obviously she's freezing there. And I get up to her and it's Joni Rafty, Billy's wife. And I go, Joni, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm, I'm waiting for Billy. He went to get to the car or something like that. I said, he left like a half hour ago to go to the cable car. She's standing on the uh, steps freezing. So I said, come on, well, I'm going over there. So she gets in the car. We go over to the cable car. He walks in. The two of us walk in. He goes, hey, PJ. Hi, honey. How are you? Just keeps on going. Drinking his lemonade like nothing like nothing happened. Well, that's when she decided never to cook again. And she's, home. Uh, she's done a good job. She still gets her PJ. She, Joni still gets a rash when she walks through the kitchen. You know, so nothing's really changed too much. And but she uh, would love it here. I'm telling you what, it, Seattle has gotten so good with takeout. It's unbelievable. Uh, you, you know, it, you know. It's funny when when I was in San Antonio, Pop loves to to get food out, but to take it home. He would do that all the time. He'd be leaving the uh, the practice facility. And he'd call like, you know, one of his favorite places and he'd just literally swing by, walk in, boom, get it and go. I mean, the way it is now, I hate to say it, but with the, the virus now, they do that uh, contactless pickup. You call, you, you go right next to the restaurant. They got like three minute parking, says it right on the signs in front of all the restaurants. They, they walk out, put, hand it in your car and, and you go right home. Joni would love it out here in Seattle now. <laughs> hey, PJ, did, did he have that taste for fine wine then? I know Gary's yes. in the wine country yeah. up to Diddy. No, absolutely. I, I, I tell people all the time, and they, they laugh at me because they think I'm kidding. And, and, like, I always go, like, to me, Pop's one of the best coaches in the history of the NBA. I mean, he's unbelievable. And his knowledge of basketball is, is you know, I mean, not that it's brain surgery, but it's obviously great. But I tell people all the time, he knows five times as much about wine as he knows about basketball. It's not even close. Not even close. Obviously, it didn't rub off on you with the swill you order. 
Yeah, not, not when I was with him. Uh, I was humble. Somebody was, I, I was doing an interview the other day, and somebody said, hey, I heard that uh, Pop always picks up the check. And I said, eh, I'm going to... I say always. I'm not going to say always. I say, I've probably been out to dinner with him four or 500 times. He picked it up maybe 399 out of the 400 or something like that. But, but the, the, one of the reasons, in, in addition to him being so generous, uh, that he does it is he orders the wine. And he knows what the wine, what the wine costs. And, you know, some, some of the bottles that he's ordered, uh, we would spend more money on, on the wine uh, than we would on the food. The wine was that good. It was, it was unbelievable, the wines. Uh, but, but his knowledge is ridiculous. Sorry to interrupt, BJ. Didn't you no. tell me that like, when, they were on, when they were on the road, San Antonio, he would tell the players where he was going to eat and that they would be welcome to come? which they did frequently, and he would not let them pay. Is not that- ever. And if any time we ever stayed in a place, uh, you know, like if we were coming back from California or in those days, Portland or Seattle, because it was such a long trip back there, or, you know, like if we, st- we played a game and stayed, which really you normally don't do unless it's a playoff. Usually you play a game, you're, you're headed to the airport and getting on a plane. Uh, but yeah, he would always say, Hey, we're going to the place we always went to in Seattle in those days. It's not here anymore. Uh, it was ocean air. It was a, a seafood chain, really good place. And he'd go, Hey, I'm going to ocean air. Uh, you're welcome. And, and it would, he would say to them, if you got friends, you know, guys have friends there or relatives there. He said, bring, bring whomever you want. No problem. And he meant no problem. And he would always pick it up and it wasn't a, it wasn't a Spurs credit card. It was his credit card. Uh, he, he would, he would always pick it up, but yeah, no, that was it too. I always tell him, Kurt gets mad at me now because, uh, the first year I was there, Oh three, we won, uh, it was the Spurs second championship. They had won in 99 with, uh, when, when T- Timmy was a rookie, I think his first or second year, Tim Duncan. But, um, Steve Kerr was also on that team, but Steve Kerr and Danny Ferry, uh, and I had a love hate. Um, I loved them and they hated me relationship, but, um, and they were, they were great, but they were also their veteran players. They were real, they were funny as hell and they were, you know, they would kill me all the time. But the two of them, if we were ever in a town that they didn't have like a friend there or relatives like that, you know, they were just going to go out themselves for dinner, not meet any friends or anything. They would sit in the lobby and wait for the coaches to go out because we'd go out. The coaches would go out with Pop the night before the game, and they'd just get in a cab and follow us, and they'd walk in the restaurant because they knew Pop's Pop's unofficial rule was if they were in the restaurant, he would pick it up. And they would, like, the two of them would get in a cab, walk in. We'd be sitting at the table, and the two of them would walk in with these big grins on their faces and wave at us because they knew Pop was going to pick up the, the check. And those two knuckleheads used to do that all the time, Danny Ferry and Steve Kerr. Uh, hey, hey, did the did Raftery Raftery's known uh, for going out sometimes after games? How about uh, how about picking up the check? How was he in that regard? All the time. I, it hurts me to say this, but it's very very true. There's, he's just as generous, just as generous as Pop was. Uh, oh, no question. I don't have the bankroll, but but hey, Gary, uh, we, we all had a camp in the old days. And I know PJ's got a couple of stories he wants to tell oh about our God. kids at the camp. But uh, this is like the early days of the Big East. And Dave Gavitt has invited us up in the spring to his golf course. And PJ 
without, without describing the geography, he had a couple of Cadillacs stolen. He had his apartment broken into. And now at, at the summer camp, he had all the, you know, the shirts, the sodas, say like 15 grand in cash. And he didn't want to leave it in the apartment just in case somebody wanted to drop in. So he's in the cart with Dave Gavin in front of me. And he's got the bag, like the canvas bag. He's like a bag man. He's a little bookie. Gets a, yeah, all the paper. Except I wasn't giving it to the players. I was keeping it myself. <laughs> oh, no, that was your money. So we're, we're behind them. I don't know if it was Gary Williams and myself and that foursome. And every couple of minutes, you see PJ reach into the basket in the golf cart to make sure the bag is still there. So we went to dinner, and Dave picked up a place, uh, picked a place downtown there, PJ. We went down the steps. It was one of his Oh, Capriccio. It was down oh, at it, it was like in the basement, yeah. Yeah. Right. So now we're all at the table. So it's 10 or 12 of us. And Bayheim's really entertaining everybody. People are sleeping when he starts talking. And <laughs> under the under the table, PJ's got the bag. And he's got the money and he's, you know, busting everybody. And every once in a while you see his left leg feeling to make sure the bag is there. Very trusting guy, right? So he went to Look the, at the group room. I was with. <laughs> he went to he went to the men's room and they said, take the bag. So I got the bag and I went into the the closet, you know, close the, the coat coat room, and I put it up top with a tablecloth over it. And I came back, or excuse me, came back to the seat. Now all of a sudden he arrives and he sits down, and right away he's jabbing at everybody. You're this, you're that. What do you know? And you see the left leg like reaching down, and all of a sudden there's panic, and he's like under the table <laughs> looking for his bag. But uh, anyhow, with the camp story, uh, PJ, with uh, Billy yeah, and true. Uh, Susie. Well, we weren't uh, later on, in fairness, the, the hall was great. The hall finally uh, realized. That, that it was an investment and, and, you know, things, things worked out well for us. We started getting uh, some of the, the local kids to stay home and uh, we, we, we won a few games, but um, now we're doing, you know, it gets to the point where we're doing okay. And the camp became a pretty lucrative thing, especially for our assistant coaches. I hated the camp. Um, I, the day I took the trailblazer job and like uh, the biggest, Thing, the thing I was most happy with about coaching in the NBA was I didn't have to do camps anymore. I was always like dreading somebody was going to get hurt, the swimming pool, or get to sneak out at night or do something wrong. I hated the whole week. And the assist, my assistants used to tell me, like, just they wanted me there the first day to shake hands. And then they tell me, get lost for five days. Just come back, come back the last day. Cause I'd be yelling at the kids and stuff. So we had people running our concessions and it was, it, it really, it was pretty lucrative. I mean, we had, we had a lot of campers and it was really a good deal for our assistant coaches and the secretaries and, the, you know, particularly the grad assistants, people like that that weren't making a lot of money. We had a chance to make a lot of cash, and Nike was a sponsor. Like Nike would send us, you know, thousand hats and T-shirts and all kinds of uniforms. We have uh, shaved ice machines, like our coaches, like we're, we're selling this. But unfortunately, I had a couple of cam- uh, cam- Billy's son, little Billy Louie, would would come to the camp. But the girls would come, his daughters would come and run concessions for us. And and normally we would sell in like five, six days. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Five, six hundred shirts, um, 
you know, 500 hats, uh, shorts, all kinds of equipment, all the snow cones and stuff like that. And Susie or Kelly or uh, Christy would come in at the end of the week with the, the coin boxes and I'd go, how'd it go? Oh, you know, pretty good. I, I said, what merchandise? No, we got nothing left. I'm saying, Oh my God, we must have like, you know, close to twenty, thirty thousand dollars for the, for the coaches. And they'd hand me like $127 and 16 cents. And they go, that, that, this is all that's left. This is all we made for the week. And meantime, the three, every one of their friends ate for free the whole time. They were buying cars and stuff on the side. And, and I made like a hundred dollars when I should have made like $50,000 with the raftery girls running our concessions. Gary, in fairness, what they would do, the, the kids would come up and they'd say, how much is the shirt? And one of our kids would say $15. And the kid would say, I only have three. And Susie would push the shirt on the floor and say, what's that? And the kid said, it's a shirt. He said, well, we can't sell that when it's dirty now. You can take it. And keep the $3, too. <laughs> PJ doesn't need the $3. Keep the $3. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey, how about, uh, I was looking at the list the other day and coaches that were in the Northeast at the time you guys were there, <clears throat> both uh, in the tri-state area and, and elsewhere. I mean, you, you've mentioned some of them, like, uh, like Jimmy Valvano and uh, Tom Penders. Uh, Chuck Daly was around, Jim Calhoun, yeah, and John Thompson at Georgetown, Raleigh at Villanova, Massimino, and Mike Bayhan, was at Ar- Mike was yeah. at Army. Mike Wacko, was at Army. Get, get, yeah. yeah, where was Wacko? Was it American or Lafayette? Gary uh, 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 or American, right. Then yeah. DC, right. How about that, though? I mean, I mean, it seems to me that's an extraordinary collection of <laughs> excellence in coaching, isn't it, to be in one well, in an area? Of course, PJ, don't forget, was the assistant on the dream team, too. Yeah. And everybody was dreaming, how the hell did he get the job? But, you know, he coordinated <laughs> he coordinated Jordan's golf time. I, as, as, uh, and Charles, I had to make appointments right. for Charles on the Ramblers, too, in Barcelona. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was part of your job. But uh, Chuck used to say... We would go to the NCAA every year. Not, 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 not the team. We didn't want to be encumbered, but we would socialize. <laughs> and Chuck, Chuck used to say he was at Penn. Then he'd say, "You know what? We're both one player away from being at the Final Four. That was sort of our little routine. So now he left to go with the Sixers with Billy Cunningham, Billy C. And uh, he came up to Rutgers, I want to say 76. Isn't that the great year they had, PJ? Yes, yeah. They were undefeated, right? They were undefeated going into the Final Four. So Chuck Chuck came to scout their team because they had four or five Bailey and Sellers and uh, Jordan. Eddie Jordan, Mike Dabney. They all got a touch of the league, Gary. So a pretty good team, obviously. So he sat with my AD and later PJ's AD, Richie Regan, who was like a classic, one of the great guys in the world, you know. Yes. And so they sat watching the game, and it's like 30 at the half. And Chuck's going to go back to Philly like he's uh, he saw enough, right? But he stays a couple of more minutes, and he's, okay, Richie, I got to go. I've seen enough, you know. And he said, tell Billy he's two players away from the final four. <laughs> 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 We're down by hey, Lake at that point, you know. 
You know what they had too. So you know we you, you talk a little bit about in those days. You know you talk about all the, the coaches that were you know all getting their start at that time. V was right. at Iona. Mike K was at at Army. You mentioned Tommy Penders at Fordham. Billy was at the Hall. Louis was at at St. John's. Uh, uh, Ruby Pacino was at DU. Uh, Ruby like, and Lizzo. Oh, Paul Lizzo at LIU. Uh, it was unbelievable. But every week during the season there'd be two sports writers because there's so many teams in the area. And you had, in those days, newspapers were such a big thing. You had the newspapers, the radio and the TV. We would have a luncheon on Tuesdays in New York at Mama Leone's and Thursdays in New Jersey. There was a New York writer's luncheon and then there was a Jersey writer's luncheon. And, and, you know, schools like the hall that were, you know, played a lot of their games at the garden and played a lot of the schools in in New York. You'd go to both. And I mean, you talk about those Mama Leone's luncheons and, you know, for me, uh, when you're just starting and you're a young coach in there and and you go in and you get to, you know, hang out and sit with them every week. I mean, you'd look forward so much to the, to the, uh, luncheon. I look forward to the luncheons more than the games, uh, the New York writers luncheons and the Jersey uh, writers luncheons. The, The guys would work on their routines. Val Vanna was like a stand up comedian and, and, you know, He's scouting us one night, and we're going to play Iona, and he ended up out with us, and now back at my house, and like I've got a handshake with the priest, you know? If the collection's good, I get a fit. That's that's my deal. No contract, and Valvano's sitting there. Joni went to bed, and I think we had some leftover whatever, and we're having a, probably in those days more beer than wine, and... uh he said, uh, how long is your contract for? I said, what do you mean contract? He said, well, how long is your contract? He said, uh, you know, he didn't say how much are they paying you. He said, I know they're not paying you anything. He said, well, at least you can have a contract. And I had never even thought of that. But Jimmy was one of one of those guys, almost like Kyle Perry, in that uh, I remember Bill Self telling me they went in. Uh, the big-time coaches were brought in by Adam Silver. And it may have been Stern, but I think it was Adam. And they were talking about this combine. Let's have a combine. And Bill Self said, we all went back, you know, whoever the coaches were, but it was Self that told me the story. And everybody goes back to the campus. And who starts the combine? John Calipari. Like, that was Valvano, though. He was was on the cutting edge of what, you know, whatever he could do so many things i guess his frailty was he could do so many things well that you know he he enjoyed the dinners and he enjoyed remember he did the show in atlantic city after the final it was incredible yeah i mean mean, his mind it was always working he'd come up with these ideas and he could promote and he would sell and uh he's on but you know bill you're gonna laugh i don't know if i ever showed you the picture I'm I'm standing we're I'm standing in my home in uh, Seattle uh, looking at a picture on the wall. I, I wish I could show it to you. It's the four of us. It's I, I got no beard. It's 1979. I got no beard. Lou. It's left to right. There's myself, Louie, Jimmy, Valvano, and you. Your hair is dark. Says how long ago <laughs> this was. I have no beard and you got dark hair. And we're I'm, we're holding a T-shirt, ECAC basketball tournament at Nassau Coliseum. We were to four schools, Wagner, St. John's, Iona, and uh, Seton Hall, to go to the ECAC tournament in those days. At the end of the year, you'd play, and the winner would get a bid to the to the NCAAs. But, I mean, like, 
it looks like we all look like we're maybe like confirmation pictures or, or high school pictures. Uh, the, the four of us, obviously it's a black and white picture, but, um, it's, a uh, 1979 Nassau Coliseum. Oh, hey, by the way, I'm just thinking of Louie with uh, the names you mentioned, Gary. Uh, we had a metropolitan basketball coaches association. Were you ever like a, an officer PJ? Yeah, because it would it would rotate like it would rotate right. like it, it wasn't voted. If you if you stayed there long enough, eventually you'd get punished and then make you the captain, <laughs> See, the, the I president for a year. I don't know how you got in, but it was like Tammany Hall, Gary. So we would we would meet every spring to decide. Let let's say Lou was the president. Now he's out. Jack Powers would move up. Lizzo move up. I'd move up. Kind of a thing, and then. We had a no nitwit deal. Like nobody that would even ask an intelligent question could ever be on this committee. So we're meeting at Patrice's downtown. Danny Patrice played high school basketball for Frank McGuire. Now it was it's Little Italy, so they know people, if you know what I mean. So we're meeting eleven thirty one morning uh, to decide who will come in next, and. We're walking in, four of us, and there's just one table to the right, round table, and it's got four or five guys, very distinguished-looking gentlemen that had bulges in their pockets. and Shark-skin suits. We start walking towards the back of the restaurant, and Louis says, keep walking. So all of a sudden you hear, hey, Luigi. Well, it's like Paul, Paul Castellano. uh Crazy Gallo, uh, I can't even make up, you know, the families, right? They're all there for a little get-together. So now Louis has to go to the table. So there's only two tables in the place, one in the front and we're at the back. So Louis comes back and he said, I would have introduced you, but they'd have you dumping games. <laughs> uh, they were classic guys. Hey guys, I, I've just got to ask after listening to all of this as a, as a fan and uh, so much so much laughter and so many memories and a lot of it off the court. Do you think uh, the guys have as much fun as you did coaching? I don't think, Billy. Excuse me. I, I, everybody I talked to, and again, some of the guys we talked about the the dinosaurs that are still coaching. Mike <laughs> Mike Shishovsky's still coaching. Uh, Jimmy Beheim, uh, Jimmy Calhoun is back in it. Um, the, almost the first thing out of their mouths is it's not the same. Uh, it's just not the same anymore. It's gotten, I, I, you know, part of it is the, the recruiting and the one and dones, but a lot of it is it's, it's become more business as much as we joked about it, how much we were making. I mean, we were making what, 12, 12, five, 14,000 dollars in those days. And, um, I, it, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they still have the writers luncheons. Maybe guys still go out after the games, but it doesn't seem to be happening as much as it used to in, uh, quote in the good old days. Gary, they're not sending the checks back to guys that are complaining, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's not like uh, they're going to have a benefit for them. But, yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing, uh, getting back to poverty at the hall, I think we got four or five films a year that we would that we could, you know, buy and then use to help teach the kids. And the advent of tape, has destroyed in my mind the the uh, 
the harmony, the, the fun for a staff where you win or lose, you go out and just relax and, you know, maybe talk a little bit about business, what the kids did or whatever, but you've got your, you know, the guys and the wives and now they go back to the room and watch the whole tape. And at the other end of it, we used to have guys, they were coming into town and this leads right into PJ. Like, you you went out with them after the game. Night before, of course. Night before or night after the game. Now they have have charters, so the game's over, they're gone. And, Mm. you know, they all have a war room, which is great. I mean, they're teaching the kids great, but it gets back to PJ, and I'm going to exaggerate the number. He's at Seton Hall. He plays the Heimer twice a year for 15 years. No, 12 years, 11 years. 12. Right, PJ? 12. Yep, 12 years. Plus maybe in the maybe in the Big East tournament, another one. But anyhow, PJ loses every game. They go out for dinner every, after every game, win or lose. Or well, obviously Jimmy winning. PJ really gets it going and beats him. The Heimer goes back to his room. He won't go out with him. <laughs> but I think all those things uh, lead to. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're more into your family, basically. And my college coach, you know, God bless him. We would go on the road. He would go out with the, the coach and maybe just about make the plane the next morning because they would be, you know, moving salt and pepper shakers and delving into the Dewar Scotch. It was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah, Bill Raftery and PJ Carlissimo cannot thank you enough. What a what a great time just listening to you and listening to the stories. And if you, for those of you who are listening in, if you listen to this only once, you're going to have missed a lot because <laughs> there was a lot that went on there. Guys, thanks a lot. And that is going to conclude another chapter of These Sports Rivals. To learn more about this and other episodes, you can log on to thesportsrivals.com and you can join the conversation with questions and suggestions for future shows. Follow us on Instagram at These Sports Rivals. Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast and on Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals podcast. Thank you. And don't forget, it is the rivalries that make the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.